today we're going to start a new study and you know i'm not sure how long the series will be maybe four or five weeks but um it, it really is kind of based on a book that i recently read it's called the gathering storm by r albert moeller jr and basically what the series is about is what's going on in our country um this country that we love i mean here we have these beautiful soldiers that are, have shown up to uh, join us in service today, and we are just so grateful for these guys. We know the sacrifice they make, the sweat, the toils, the, the blood that's shed on those battlegrounds um, for our freedom, for our freedom to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the United States of America, I believe with all my heart, was founded by Jesus. I believe that God himself established us as a Judeo-Christian nation. And so this book, I love the book because he talks about how we can fight for our family, fight for our flock, fight for the future of our nation. But first, before we get there, we have to have an understanding of exactly what's going on in our nation. And so today's study is pretty much the gathering storm in the Western civilization. Now, in case you didn't know, Western civilization is very much, um, you know, a, the civilization that was influenced by Christianity. And you can maybe even go over to Europe and you can see the sweeping movement even here in the States. Um, but then what you find is that, man, there's a movement away from God. And we're experiencing that in the nation that we live in today. And so we want to bring an awareness and we want to ask God how we can make a difference. Because listen, if you check out, if you just get so caught up in this world, if you think that life is all about having a good time and doing whatever you want to do, and you miss out on your mission as a Christian, then if enough people do that in the church, then what we find going on in the world and how they're you know, falling away from God, it's because of us. It's because what I believe as a pastor is every single person has a gift, has a responsibility. God wired you together. He knit you together in your mother's womb because he had a mission for you. And so the last thing you want to do is say, go to church. And next thing you know, you know, it's not like when we used to play in the ball game and we were basketball players and, you know, there were five guys on the court and the rest were on the bench. And, you know, you're like in the church and you think, well, I, you know, I'm not in the court. I'm kind of on the bench. You shouldn't be on the bench. There is opportunity for everyone to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with a reckless abandon. I just don't understand, you know, because when I got saved in August 20th, 1989, I don't know how, I guess it was the grace of God over my life, but I just can't understand why people are not completely surrendered to the Lordship of God. How they would not have a heart that just says, here am I, do whatever you want to do with my life that I'm a slave, that I'd be willing to do anything. You need someone to vacuum. You need someone to you know, take out the trash. You need someone, please, we need people to serve in the children's ministry, in the nursery. There should be, the nursery should be open for both services. The children's ministry should be open midweek service. We should be having enough servants for, you name it, Sunday nights and videos and media and, I mean, just new ministries to the homeless people, you name it. But the thing is, is that, you know, we, we got a few people on staff. We pray that God would stir up lives. We have a great team. There are some, you know, you can just, you just know they're going to be there. 
But, but there's this, this is how it works, not to pressure you, but to give you that opportunity because one day you will stand before God and you will give an account. What did you do with the talents that he gave you? And so you have to ask the Lord because you're all gifted. I know you guys, you know, if I talk to you long enough, I'll find out where your burdens are, what your interests are, where your passion is, because God put it there. God put those desires there. We need help in the, in the youth ministry. We should be having a junior high ministry by now, high school ministry by now. But we just, God, Lord, stir them up. And so, you know, the world is the way that it is because the church is the way that it is. And so my prayer as we go through this is that God would just stir us up. Listen, it's not your life to do whatever you want to do. It's not, it doesn't work that way as a Christian. Christians, just like these soldiers will tell you, They go in and they check in with their general and they say, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And it's there and only there that you'll find satisfaction. It's the only place. And so in this chapter, I kind of gave it a quick outline. Number one, understanding the times. We have to have an understanding of the times that we live in. And then number two, is, well, well, what are the specifics? What time is it? And so we're going to see in the world that we live in, it's a time of positional and practical atheism. It is a time of cultural and personal relativism. And it is a time when really what we're seeing in the world is right is wrong and wrong is right. That's the world that we live in, in case you didn't know. Because I know a lot of times people live in their little Christian cubbyhole. They don't have a clue of what's really going on, what's going on, what the curriculum is for their own children. So we need to know what time it is, and then we need to know what we ought to do. And so we'll try our best. I'm going to try to jam through this chapter. Uh, Again, like I said, a lot of it's based on the book. But as I went through the chapter, I realized this is really like complex and stuff. And so we need to make it more palatable for a Sunday morning service. And so the Lord put it all together, gave me some scriptures. And hopefully you guys, God will use this to stir you up, to stir up your family, to stir up our church, to stir up our community, to reach the people of Almani and beyond. And even God can use his word and his you know, church and his spirit to change the tide of a nation because I love my country and I want to ask God, what's the best way to help this nation that you built? Because when you look at the children of Israel and you begin to read the Old Testament and you see what God did and then how they would stray away from God, you would then see someone like a king or someone like a Nehemiah or someone like an Elijah, one man. And just think if we all caught the vision, how that would truly make a difference in an entire nation like a Hezekiah. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Look at the outline right here. We see in First Chronicles 12 and verse 32, it says, Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Understanding the times, First Chronicles 12, 32, these sons of Issachar, 
They had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. So these were guys that were involved in David's army, David's administration. He needed them. He needed men to understand what's up, what's going on out there. The same phrase is actually used in Esther chapter 1 and verse 13, where King Artaxerxes had individuals, he had wise men, the Bible says, who understood the times. You know, they, they kind of need to know what's going on. And so my prayer is that would be us as we are soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ. You know, what's going on in, in, in our world? You know, and not just a generic sense, not just to say, well, things are getting bad or things are discombobulated or our nation has issues. True, but I think we need to be more specific than that. And we need to know what's at stake. You know, I, I'm not a prophet, uh, but I don't even need to be. I think... If any of us open our eyes just a little bit, we can see and say a lot about the times that we're living in. And I can honestly say, I believe this with all my heart, I think Billy Graham agreed that unless there's divine intervention, there is a storm that is coming to the United States of America unlike any we've ever seen. Again, I'm not a weather man, I'm just a wicked man. I'm just a weak man, but I am an individual who can see the dangerous days that are ahead because that's what happens when a nation that was built by God turns their backs on God. You know, you might look around and you say, oh, the system is set and it's so beautiful. It's kind of like cutting flowers. And you look at those flowers and for a while, yeah, they do look pretty. But eventually those flowers, especially because they're disconnected from the plant itself, everything about it dies. And that's what happens when you disconnect a country from the God that made it. You know, the sons of Issachar, they understood the times because it's then and only then that we can have a clue as what to do. You know, I think that we need to sound the alarm even if people think that we're weird. You know, I'm reminded of Winston Churchill who was a prominent uh, politician in Great Britain, but there was a time that some considered him an outcast because of the fact that he was sounding the alarm regarding the threat of Nazi Germany. He was warning the nation of this evil, but they didn't believe him, especially fresh off the heels of World War I. They didn't want to believe him. But the day eventually came when his words were prophetically true, and Winston Churchill was then welcomed back into government. As a matter of fact, the very day Britain declared war on Germany in 1940, King George VI summoned Churchill to Buckingham Palace and asked him to serve as, as prime minister. And so you guys probably know, if you've studied history, that the, the rest is with the Allied forces. Your Lord used Winston Churchill to give us victory. But at what cost? How many people died in World War II? You know, the estimates are anywhere from 50 to 80 million people died. 25 million soldiers. You know, 50 or so, 55 million um, civilians dying from famine, dying from disease. It makes you wonder, what if? What if they would have heeded the warning of Winston Churchill earlier? You know, we're living in another world war. It's the war of the world. It's the war 
of eternity, the war of other, the other world. And if we don't you know, do something different or do something more, then we're going to see the same thing happen to our nation as well. You know, the storm is coming. I think we see it coming. As a matter of fact, I think we already can feel the rain and the winds blowing. And I think it's arrived in many ways. But the thing that I got to let you know, guys, is that it's just the beginning. You know, once again, the devil is doing his thing, just like he did through Adolf Hitler. You know, the question is, will we rise to the occasion? Will we fight And again, it can't just be violently, it can't be physically, it's not primarily or merely politically. We must engage passionately in a spiritual war with things like praying like you've never prayed before, things like wisdom but not from below or not from here, from above. We need to fight with influential words, persuasive words of wisdom, love in action, and even having conversations like this where there needs to be an awareness of what's taking place in this world and in this nation that we love and is so dear to our hearts, who at one time in the beginning, and you can rewrite history if you want to, but the fact is true that our nation was built on Judeo-Christian values. Our nation was built on the values that are written in this book, the Bible. And that's the one book that they're trying to take out of our hands. They're trying to take it out of our hearts They took it out of the schools, out of the government, out of our life, out of society. You know, and you go to Hollywood and you go to the influential universities and you start in kindergarten. You go all the way through the educational system. You go and you talk to the the artists of today or, you know, the titans of Silicon Valley. It doesn't matter who it is, but it's all the same agenda, the news everywhere. They just want to take this book out of our heart. You know, in 52 countries, some of them it's illegal, but in 52 countries in the world that we live in, it's dangerous to have one of these. Now, do you think that can ever happen to us? If we as a church continue to sit on the bench and fall asleep, it very well can because that is the devil's goal. And so we need to have this understanding, you guys, of what's going on. What, what time is it? You know, First Chronicles 12, 32 says, these guys were guys, sons of Issachar, you know, guys in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. They understood the times and then they had a clue of what to do. What's going on? Well, turn to Psalm 14 in verse 1 and I mentioned it a second ago. What time is it? Well, it's a time of positional and practical atheism. Psalm 14 in verse 1, it's to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. Now, that's an interesting thing because in all reality, if you were to go back to the time of David, there were no atheists these guys were smart enough. They, they knew there is a God. They knew there is a creator. Romans chapter 1 says his invisible attributes are clearly understood. They're, they're understood just by looking at the things that God has made. But the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. They might not say it with their lips, 
but they live it with their lives. Like there's no God who can tell me what to do. There's no God who can tell me to go against the grain of who I am. There's no God to whom one day I will stand before him and give an account. And so they say in their hearts, there is no God. Now today, I think in many ways, we live in a world where there is more and more positional atheism. There's more and more uh, people who would say from an intelligent or academic you know, standpoint, I don't believe in God. I believe everything is here. It's been eternal. Now we are this product of evolution. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous to believe in something like that. But the Bible says, professing to be wise, they became fools. For anyone to think that this whole thing that we have in front of us is an absolute accident, it's a product of a train wreck, is absolutely ludicrous. But what does the Bible say? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so there is a whole segment of society, and this is where the times that we live in, who don't believe in God. You know, it's saturated throughout the entire system. It's on Wall Street. It's on Main Street. It's almost everywhere. You know, to say that you hold to the truths of the Bible is now considered actually counterculture by most influencers of the day. And so, you know, for us, you guys, the question is, as a church, are we prepared to be considered the enemies of the regime? Because we believe there is a God who calls the shots. We believe there is a God who says what's right and wrong. And we believe that one day we will stand before him and, and give an account. You know, some say, ah, it's good. We don't need God in government. We don't need public school teachers to pray with our children. And I understand that, you know, God gives us freedom to believe or not to believe. But when there's a specific, concrete, clearly cut agenda to cut God of the Bible out of schools and out of society and to rid ourselves of God and place ourselves as a God, as the ones who determine what's right and wrong, we have to understand that this is not only different, this is dangerous. We can't just sit back on the bench. We can't continue to pray without passion. We have to rise up and we have to engage in this war. We must. You know, what happens when you cut God out? You guys, I mean, think about it. I know some people might, they kind of lose the, the, mis, the conception of the whole thing. You know, well, we're just a society. We're just people. No, God made this country. God established this country. Now we don't want God. Do you think that we can just continue merrily on our way? We just have to understand, you guys. And I know for most of you here, you're theists. You believe in God. I understand that. But I wonder sometimes in the church if we really understand the times that we're living in and the agenda of the Almighty, I mean the agenda of the adversary to erase God from the future generations that will affect your children because we did not fight the way that we should have. You know, Jesus said in John 15, uh, verse 4, he said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so, you know, the Lord is saying, stay there with Jesus. Stay there, remain there, rest there with Jesus. Because you guys, when we're with Jesus, we bear fruit. Fruit is love. Fruit is all the things that are good. That's why he says, stay there. But then in the next verse, he says in John 15, 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And you guys know it's really easy. You cut the branch, you take it away from its source. That branch does not have a chance to be anything but burned. And if we cut ourselves off from the source of Jesus, then this is our future. This is why I pray that our country, which at one time was a predominantly Christian country, would stay connected to Jesus Christ. This is why I pray that even us as Christians would not settle for this thing they call morality without Christianity. See, we need God. You know, today many claim to be Christian, even in some of the influential sectors of society, and they'll throw out the word God, and they'll throw out the word faith, and all that kind of stuff. But really, they're not really born again. They don't really know the power of God. They really know the passion of God. See, unless there's this intervention through a revival that would take place in the church, then we lose hope for our land. What time is it? It's a time where we see positional and practical atheism. You know, for many in this world, believe it or not, you talk to some of these guys, I wonder, man, why don't you ever see some of these famous people like really get saved? You know, or these politicians, why don't they, and we're praying for them, and I'm not saying it's too hard, but man, it just seems like we're living in days where it's almost impossible for them to believe you know, theism for some is not an available worldview. Many people in the most privileged sectors of society don't even know a believing Christian. They're no longer haunted by the remains of Christian, you know, mentalities, and they're just completely secular. Either they're atheists or agnostics. They lost the conscious commitment to a self-existent, self-revealing personal God who exerts authority over them. And we read their story in Romans 1, 20 through 22, where you see the digression, where they suppressed the revelation of God until eventually they bought into the, f- the lie that there is no God. And so we see the culture today growing more and more resistant to God. To anyone who would use words such as thou shalt not, How can you say that? How could our creator have the audacity to tell me what to do, to tell me to take up my cross? Well, he did the same. God came down and humbled himself, and he winced against the grain of who he was, and he died on a cross, and he said, if anyone wants to come after me, that's what you have to do too. But they don't even want to submit to the lordship of the very God who made them. Now, what time is it? You're like, Manny, it's time to finish. No, it's not time to finish yet. (laughs) What time is it? It's a time of positional and practical atheism. Number two, it's a time of cultural and personal relativism. 
Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Proverbs 21.2, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. And then in Proverbs 12.15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. And so we're living in days where in all reality, even though King Jesus is King Jesus, they don't care that King Jesus is King Jesus. To them, there is no king. There is no king. And so they do what is right in their own eyes and they refer to it as nobility. See, for us, you know, we know there is a king. His name is Jesus. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. But that's the world that we're living in. You know, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes and he just, he doesn't even heed counsel. Hey, I'm telling you this, you know, that marriage between a man and a woman is exactly what those children need. And you need to wait until you get married before you get engaged in sexual relations because, and you start sharing with people the things that are right and the things that are biblical and the things that come from the creator who made us. And they tell us, who are you to judge me? They're doing what's right in their own eyes. You know, they don't even want the counsel of God. They don't want the scriptures. We traveled from theism to secularism. Secular, in terms of contemporary sociological and intellectual conversation, refers to the absence of any binding theistic authority or belief. And this is the belief that we at one time had as a society. Secularizing societies moves into conditions in which there is less and less theistic belief until there's hardly even a memory that such a binding authority had ever existed. You know, you go over to some of the Scandinavian countries today where maybe 2% of the population attends church. 2%. This is why I'm trying to tell you guys, and you know, maybe... I'm wrong, and maybe I'm off, and I'm just a man, but I'm telling you this, that I don't get it why people don't have this this crazy, crazy conviction to sit in church service. I I would do anything. I would stand on my head. I would just, you name it, I would do anything to be there. Now, I understand we're living in days where people are staying at home because of that, you know, whole COVID thing. I understand that. For those of you who are, have that, you know, that's cool. But if I see you at the mall, <laughs> yeah, God sees. All I know is that I, when I got saved, I couldn't get And it's cool because, you know, sometimes, maybe it's not here in this building, but you're getting together with your friends and you're seeking God together. You're really seeking God together. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm trying to tell you that God owns every day of your life. Every minute, every moment. You know, he wants us to enjoy each other. And don't get me wrong, I understand there are moments of leisure and 
you know, we have rest. But man, I just can't understand why people don't get it that their life is not their own. You know, Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, Lord, give me the strength to do it. Sometimes I'm not going to feel like doing it, but I'm going to do it anyways. Because we're living in this world where less and less people are going to church. They say that just 10 years ago, church attendance was 12% higher. So every 10 years, church attendance declines. Now they say, and the, the statistics are, they vary, 40% to maybe 60% go to church service each Sunday. So it's less and less. And so you just do the math. In about three decades, we're going to be there with the Scandinavian nations. Why? Because we didn't teach our children the importance of going to church. Well, I'm there. Unless I absolutely can't. Now, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's days where you're like, hey, you know what? I need to wash the cat or I need to do yard work or whatever. I got other things. I'm not saying it's easy. It's never easy. It isn't. It's not easy for me. But at least Sundays and then other days, God will show you. Why? Because we're living in a day where people just do what's right in their own eyes. You know, we find the positional and practical atheism. We find the cultural and personal relativism. And then uh, what time is it? It's Isaiah 5.20, where evil is good and good is evil. And what does God say in Isaiah 5.20? Woe to those. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, you, you believe, you Christians believe there's a God who made us and maintains us, some type of almighty with authority over me, who won't just let me be me. He made you. He knows what's best for you. He knows we're broken and we have this depraved nature that wants to go against the grain of who God is. And that's why it's better you know, to follow him. Where would I be? Where would I be if I just did what I want to do? How unfaithful would I have been to my wife, to my friends, to my church, to my God? But we're living in a day where they don't just tolerate it, they celebrate it. It used to be going on in the back alley. Now it's on Main Street. And it's not just going down Main Street. It's strutting down Main Street. You know, I mean, what, how could we come to a place, you know, just up north in Canada where there's a father who has a 14-year-old daughter who gets arrested because he referred to his daughter with the, I guess she wants to be a boy now, and his, he called her a her. So he used the wrong pronoun and got arrested. So all I'm saying, and you might be here like, well, that'll never happen to us. And whatever, you know, I don't know how you would be okay with that in any way. But, you know, why? how could that possibly happen? This is how it happens. Because they say that the dad referring to his daughter as a feminine as a she as his daughter she's only 14 years old she hasn't 
yet grown up enough to make her own decision yet because we know this crazy world that we live in because what they say, that's bad. What he's doing. And then, you know, and there's a wide spectrum. And as we go through the studies, we'll talk about some specifics. But, you know, I was reading an article about one of the politicians and it was this a gal Kristen Gillibrand the senator of New York who was a former contender for the democratic presidential nomination and she argued that the abortion of unborn babies was the Christian thing to do and here we are trying to fight for life half of all pregnancies they say are unplanned but they're planned by God 40% end an abortion, 3,000 every day in the United States of America, 125,000 babies are slaughtered all around the world every single day, and it's picking up steam because of people like that who say that abortion is the right thing to do, and we're living in Isaiah 520, where they call good evil and evil good. And so just... Okay, Lord, we got to know what time it is. Because if we do know what time it is, and if we do begin to understand the times, how this is like a big demon, how this is like a big battle. And our, our little, you know, spitwads, the way that we typically would do spiritual warfare, they're not going to help our kids. I mean, you might be okay, and as a parent, I'm, I'm already 35 years old, and so <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, America will probably be fine at this rate for the next 5, 10 years. I don't know even that, but what about your kids? This is why I'm like, Lord, people got to show up to church. People got to start signing up to serve in the nursery, in the children's ministry, in the youth ministry, cleaning. People should be just saying, you know what? I'm willing to do anything for Jesus. It's me. That's the way it should be. What do you need? And again, it's not always in this building. I completely understand that. But I should be able to come up to you and we should be able to talk to each other and I should be able to look you in the eyes and say, where are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, my family. Yes, unless there's like a great burden, you know, upon the family and you have to do something special. Yeah, we all have that one. And I understand sometimes we go through different seasons and things are a little different. So I hope you guys know, and I'm not an insensitive person, but what I'm trying to say is that the gifts that you've been given, the talents you've been given, the burdens that are on your heart, the opportunities that God gives, you got to give life to them. You won't be sorry in serving Jesus. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? God will show us the specifics. Here's some general things to take into consideration. Remember what we read in First Chronicles 12.32 of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. You know, they understood the times and said, okay, this is what we have to do. And and for us, I think there is that aspect, okay, Lord, mm, 
I, I think, you know, maybe some of you guys saw the video and I'm just kind of mesmerized by the words of John, not John the Baptist, John the Beloved, but John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address, January 1961. You guys remember his words? He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And I feel like we are really messed up with that. What can you do for your country? This nation that, that God built. The nation that he set you in. And some people will criticize us. Oh, you guys are nationalists. All I know is that God allowed me to be born in this great country that he established. And he has me here for such a time as this. What can we do? Who do you ask? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Ask who? Ask God. Have you asked God? He'll tell you. He'll tell you what to do. I know for sure we have to pray and we have to lead. Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and 31 says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads. Now that's a really fascinating verse because God was looking through the whole nation for somebody who'd be willing to stand in the gap. And I, you know, you, you do some research on that and it's talking about two things. It's talking about someone willing to take up the mantle, someone willing to lead, and someone willing to pray. And I think we need that. Some of you guys have gifts of leadership. Some of these ministries that need to start up. Something that God wants to do. And God's calling you to lead. God's calling you to pray. Because what happened is God couldn't find anybody, so he had to judge Israel. And unless there's this great revival and there's just something that would move and shake this country in the right direction, God will have to judge our nation. But what if God finds you? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on those whose hearts, on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. He's searching. Maybe it's you. What ought we to do? We ought to pray and lead. Secondly, we ought to serve and fight. And that's Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord your God, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. In case you're wondering, we didn't start this fight. They did. And we're fighting back. Paul the Apostle did the same thing, so much so that at the end of his life, he summarized his, his life with those words, I have fought the good fight. 
And so in Nehemiah's days, it was for the glory of God. It was for the nation, for the people. And Nehemiah was used by God in such a a wonderful way. We need more Nehemiahs. But in one hand, they had a trowel. In another hand, they had a sword. And they worked. And they served. And they fought. And this is what we need. A nation who at one time was under God needs more Nehemiahs. You know, one thing we know, he's the one that established our nation. I hope you can hear the bell because it's time to fight, not physically, not merely or primarily politically, although God can use those things. We must fight spiritually. What we see going on in the world today, I believe with all my heart, is because of what's going on in the churches. One-third of young adults, 35 and younger, report no religious affiliation whatsoever. I'm appealing to all of you. All of you. You are all kings and priests. I'm appealing to all of you, overseers. God made you overseers. Run with that ministry. I'm appealing to all of you, pastors. Some of you have been recognized by the church and acknowledged, and it's a heavy responsibility to be a pastor. Others, God made you a pastor. Run with it. Run with it. Serve. And it's so cool when you read Nehemiah, you know, they all served in front of their house. And so, of course, it starts with the family, but it doesn't end there because it was for the nation. And as they all did their part and the people had a mind to work, then the walls were built in record time, 52 days, something that they thought could never be done, something that the, the devil himself opposed tooth and nail with every weapon that he could throw at them could not be used by the enemy to defeat them in the plan that God had. See, we need to pray and lead. We need to serve and fight. And we need to be salt and light. Matthew five thirteen through 16. And you guys know that. And as we go through the study, we're going to talk more about that. But can you guys understand that? You're salt. Can you say that? I am salt. Watch, lick your... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> We're salty. We're supposed to be salty, right? And, and what is salt? You know, salt would be used in those days as a preservative because if we're not salty, if we're not like Jesus, if we don't serve Jesus and we lose the saltiness, then there's no preservative in the world that we live in and it goes and it gets rotten and it decays. Salt is a preservative. Salt would be used to create a thirst. And so when we're salty, when we're like Jesus, beautiful things happen. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You don't go and put that you know, light under a basket, but you let your good works, let your work shine so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I'm not saying that you necessarily need to go and put yourself out on a pedestal, But when you shine and you let the reflection of Jesus shine through you, you can't hide it. But you do have to go out into the world. You do have to take steps of faith. And so we need to be this. 
We need to be salt. We need to be light. And we need to, last thing, shine and share. Shine and share. Romans 1, 11 through 16. Paul the Apostle said, I wanted to go and help you out in any way that I can and somehow impart to you some type of spiritual gift. And as Paul went, we know he was gifted with that gift of evangelism. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you told that person over there and they're going through the difficulties and the heartache and the struggles? Jesus is the answer. Jesus. We might not be able to articulate whatever the Roman road is in the book of Romans. Maybe you can. It doesn't matter. But you just tell them Jesus. And what ends up happening is you start sharing with them. You love on them. And then you ask God for the right words to lead them to Jesus. I'm telling you this. I mean, it's cool. I do encourage you. Invite people to church service. I do encourage you. But man, I encourage you also just to invite them to Jesus. And you watch what God will do. Because the world today needs people that are genuinely born again of the Holy Spirit. Not fakers, not posers, not plastic Christians, not pretenders. People who are really, truly have been given life. They're born again. And that's why you have to check your own heart. Are you born again? 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says that we have to examine ourselves to see even if we're in the faith. Maybe you're here today and you're not even really a Christian. You're like, well, I went to church. It doesn't make you a Christian. Has there ever been a time where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who died and rose again? Listen, we love you, and we're here to tell you that that's where it starts. Give your life to Christ. And then for us as a church, um, what I find, I'm not Winston Churchill, but we are the church, huh? It's not World War III we're worried about as much as World War Me. Listen, it's something that takes place in your own heart. I believe for me as a pastor, you might think, well, Manny, you probably have it all together. I don't. Well, most of you probably don't think that, huh? <laughs> like I know you. <laughs> I'm ready to, to take it to the next level is basically what I'm saying. And I want our church to do the same because we see what's going on around us. You know, we need to be what we are. Sheep follow their shepherd. A bride loves her spouse. And a child, if we're children of God, we obey our papa. So you find out what he wants for you. Don't get lazy. Don't get distracted. Don't be deceived. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they often choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Follow the Lord, you guys. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting for our flock. We're fighting for our nation. And please, whatever you do, don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that you can't make a difference wherever you are. Because if you become sold out and surrendered, sold out.